Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Nashika Caesar. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. Steps that they have taken in cases where the fees were over 15%, they are doing refunds. They want to leave uh, within the 15% as mandated by Parliament. So I'm very happy this morning. After days of back and forth, Education Minister Dr. Yawase Duchum gives an order to public universities on the increase in school fees, but will they listen? Also coming up, Consumer Protection Agency and other interested groups take on the National Insurance Commission on the 43% increment in third-party insurance. We'll be hearing more on that here on Eyewitness News. And later... I would recommend to our parliamentarians that this is one area they need to be looking at. That there should be a limit as to the ability of government to levy taxes on us. Otherwise, they will continue increasing their expenditure and indirectly pass on the expenditure to the citizens who voted them. Private legal practitioner David Ofosu Dorte's proposal to government which would lead to the tax reprieve for citizens. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business? Hotels Association lament negative effects of the increment of VAT rate on their operations. That will be in some 15 minutes here on Eyewitness News. The show is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations. In the western region, we are on Premier 100.5 FM. Beach 105.5 FM and Sky Power 93.5 FM. All of them are in Takradi, the regional capital. In the Bono region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in the capital, Sunyani. In the Ashanti region, we are in the capital on Alpha Radio 104.9 and Orange 107.9 FM. In the Volta region, we are in Ho on Global 105.1 FM and in Adaklu Wire on Adanu 107.7 FM. In the northern region, we are in Tamale on Diamond 93.7 FM. In the upper west region, we are in Laura on Westlink 88.1 FM. In the upper east region, this is Source 100.1 FM in Boko. And in the northeast region, we are on the Nakpanduri Escarpment via SCAP 101.3 FM. Let's know what you make of the stories we are bringing you. On WhatsApp, the number to send your message to is 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. You can also send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Alternatively, go on our Facebook platform where we are streaming live and drop your comments on the live feed as you watch. Eyewitness News is broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. My name is Omaru Sandamaru here with Nashika Siza who brings us our first story. 
The Minister of Education, Dr. Yalse Duchum, has directed all public universities to comply with the 15% fees increment as approved by Parliament. This comes after a meeting between management of some public universities and the Ghana Tertiary Education Commission over agitations that has met the increase in fees. Nukes has been protesting the new fees announced by the University of Ghana, which exceeds the 15% approved. The management, however, justified its decision. But the minister, Dr. Yao Seduchum, has asked the management of the various public universities to abide by the approved percentage. Um, I'm sure you've heard from University of Education, Winneba. Uh, you've also heard from a great university, University of Cape Coast, um, about steps that they have taken in cases where the fees were over fifteen percent. They are doing refunds. They want to live uh, within the fifteen percent as mandated by Parliament. So I'm very happy this morning. Thank you uh, for coming. Right. On the colleges of education, we had indication yesterday that some of the colleges are revoking the uh, admission of some students to meet the uh, uh, the quota that has been instituted by government. Has no, no, no quota has been instituted other than further. Uh, schools admitting based on their capacity uh, because you know that prior to this year uh, last year uh, we have up to just level 300 now we have level 400 government has embarked on major infrastructure uh, development building new hostels they are not completed yet so if you allow the same number of students that were there from the previous year they won't fit in the school so that's why GTEC worked with the colleges uh, to adjust so that they can accommodate all our students. That is what is happening. I, I'm surprised to hear by revocation because I know that they did not admit before GTEC directive went to them. So uh, I'm surprised there will be any revocation. That was the voice of Dr. Yao Osei Educhum, who is the Minister of Education. Let's understand uh, more what the ministry is really communicating. Kwesi Kwatin is Public Relations Officer of the Ministry of Education. Kwesi, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Yeah, thank you, and a very good evening to you. Good evening. I spoke with you on Tuesday. You assured me there was going to be a meeting on Thursday. The meeting has happened. The minister has spoken. Is it a blanket directive to all universities to reduce their fees Clarify exactly what universities are supposed to do based on what your boss has said. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I think the whole conversation borders on enforcement and compliance. As while it is expected of the ministry through our agency DTEC uh, to enforce the directive of parliament, which is in any case uh, the law, it is also expected on the part of the universities to comply to what parliament has agreed on relative to uh, the 2022-2023 uh, fee schedule. And so today what happened was that uh, we met with four uh, different institutions, i.e. University of Ghana, UCC, UMAT, and UEW. And the whole conversation borders on uh, the implementation of what Parliament has approved. That is a 15% increment of fee uh, of last year's fee that was charged. And so uh, within the meeting, the parties agreed, and uh, I'm referring to UCC, UMAT, and the UEW on spot on, that indeed they are going to comply with what uh, the directive that parliament gives. I think the difficulty 
had to do with the University of Ghana, uh, which uh, they were unable to uh, comply instantly and that they may have to uh, refer or defer the matter to their council level. But of course, uh, the minister reminded them that at no point should the university's council decision supersede the provision of the law, especially when the diocese was coming from parliament. So it was against this backdrop that the minister once again uh, issued a very firm directive. Of course, we are firming the position of the law and retreating what parliament has again directed that they should pay their fees uh, at 15% of what was charged last year. Did any of the four you met defend the reason for the increment? And uh, could you share with us some of the defenses they put up? Uh, I think most of them were were were, were very compliant because uh, if you look at the uh, University of uh, UMass, for instance, and then University of Education, I think University of Education initially uh, tried to justify, but by saying that uh, I think there was some. ICT component that they needed to get data and that they have resolved with the students uh, on the amount increment. But I think uh, the minister reminded them again that whatever agreement that they may have agreed with the students cannot uh, superride or circumvent the provision of the law or the law says. And so for that matter, it should still be within, be within the 15%. Uh, largely, it borders on the fact that at their level, there has been consensus building between themselves and the students' union and all the student bodies. But of course, if you look at what the students' union are also saying, clearly uh, it, it differs from such positions. But I think what is most important is that there has been a headway. Uh, whether or not there was some consensus built, uh, what is most important now is that parties have resolved and agreed that they are going to pay their fees at 15% of uh, what was charged the previous year, which is last year. And that if any person or any student has paid more than what has been charged or approved with by parliament, they are going to refund. But for uh, University of Ghana, that we are expecting at least some 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 uh, changes uh, within the shortest possible time. Why do you meet only four, though? Does it mean these are the only universities that have been flouting the law? So the understanding that we had, I think uh, Kiel University, for instance, was supposed to be part of the meeting. But the briefing that I had from my minister yesterday was that even uh, before the meeting was was to commence, they had uh, complied with the parliamentary directive. So with regards to them, the issue has stayed moot. And, I mean, there was no need to be discussing because in the first place they have complied and they have communicated same to their students that they are going to even refund uh, those that have paid more than the 15%, which was approved by Parliament. So, KMSC, for instance, was was, was practically uh, not passed because their issue has stayed moot. Uh, but largely, we 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 invited based on those that we've received complaints from the uh, student bodies, uh, uh, particularly the National Union of Ghana. So I think their complaints were bordered on KNUST, University of Ghana, uh, UCC, UMAT, and UUW. But, I mean, within just five to ten minutes of the meeting, uh, the three schools, UEW, UMAT, and UCC, had even voluntarily uh, uh, acknowledged that, yes, they, they cannot go beyond what Parliament has approved. And that their, their own decision and their own consensus building at their various uh, school level or council level could not supersede. 
the provision of the law and parliamentary decision. So the so expectation, we, the expectation will be that any student who paid the amount that was quote and unquote illegal should expect a refund from any of the universities that they are in currently. Uh, the expectation is that any person that paid more than the approved fee uh, should have his or her money refunded, and this the the investor authorities agreed to because I mean the, the approved fee is fifteen percent of the tax. So if you charge anybody more than that, then it's only fair that you you make a refund, and the university's management were committed to that. What if any university decides to disregard the minister's directive? What consequences are there? I I I, I genuinely believe it will not even get there because initially uh, the universities were were going beyond what Parliament had agreed, and it was based on this backdrop that the minister had to intervene and remind them of the existing law, which uh, provides for the framework upon which such regulations are made, referring to matters of fees and charges. And indeed, they decided with the minister that at no point can they circumvent and disregard the, the, the law which explicitly provides him for uh, fee schedule and free programming. And so, I mean, it was based on that that they had to reverse their earlier decisions and then come back to the 15%. So with regards to at least, I can confirm that of KNUST, uh, UMAT, uh, UCC, and UEW, they have uh, agreed or resolved to make the necessary changes with immediate effect. So, I mean, <laughs> there is no point about going contrary to what they, they have agreed uh, at today's meeting. Of course, with the investor of Ghana, it's a peculiar case, but uh, we, we understand their issue and we have to give them the, uh, the luxury of space. At the same time, we also understand the agency of the moment, and uh, we are very hopeful that the Professor Nana uh, Aba-led administration will do the needful. Very well. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll be uh, following the story, and uh, if there's any need for further clarification from you, we'll come back. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Kwesi Kwatin is PRO of the Ministry of Education. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. So we've heard from the Ministry of Education. Next, we'll hear from the University of Ghana and the UCC and other universities. But that will be after this break. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. The big story tonight is that the Minister for Education, uh, Dr. Yawase Duchum, has directed universities, public universities that is, to reduce their fees and stick to what Parliament has approved, which is 15%. Uh, we are going on the phone lines now to hear from the universities. Professor Ransford Jampo is a member of the communications team of the University of Ghana. Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Mara. The minister has directed, despite all the defenses your school has put up the past few days, directed that reduce and come up to 15% or less. How does the university respond? Respectfully, uh, University of Ghana hasn't charged more than it is required to charge. We have in our custody Act 1080, the Act of Parliament which provides the base rate we should use in calculating our 15%. We use the base rate as communicated to us 
by Parliament in calculating uh, 15%. It's, it's important for us to point out the fact that in Act 80, uh, in Act 1080, the only minister who is given the authority over fees is the Minister of Finance and not a Minister of Education. So, University of Ghana, we have done what is within the law, and any directive that insists we do the contrary will be asking us to be doing what is illegal. The greatest of respect to the Minister of Education, who is a great friend of mine, um, the Minister of Education cannot order public universities to do what is illegal. We haven't done anything that is illegal, and so we ask that the charge of illegality be dropped. If it is about affordability, if it's about the current hardships we are all facing in Ghana, we can talk about it. But the point must also be made that the University of Ghana has gone out of its way to put in place measures and mechanisms to ensure that those who cannot pay are given some terms of payment. Previously, we were saying you have to pay 70% of the fees before you are able to register. Now, it's been reduced to 50%. Even that, we are willing to give some terms of payment to those who cannot pay the 15%. Beyond that, we have the Student Financial Aid Office that um, is willing to also provide resources or financial support to brilliant but needy students. We must make this point clear. See, Somewhere around 2019, um, the university went to government and to parliament for a proposal that to enable us to run the university well, we need um, a fee adjustment to the tune of 40%. Remember, we were part, when I was a student, I was part of the group that went to demonstrate during the mobile struggle, asking that government... Um, do, uh, government, um, help in funding, um, um, tertiary education, saying that things are too hard, parents alone cannot pay and all that. Through the mobile struggle, we got the GET Fund established. Unfortunately, funding from GET Fund goes elsewhere, but you don't come to in, uh, public investors. Government subventions are in arrears. Many, many, many months in arrears. And even the letter that comes, are only able to pay for salaries of workers. So now universities are being asked to pay their own utilities. Universities are being asked to pay their light bill, their water bill, and now buildings are cracking and posing threats to human life. We are supposed to mend them. Don't forget that the idea of free SHS did not come with a corresponding increase in infrastructure of tertiary education, of tertiary institutions, even though tertiary institutions now are having to endure and are having their infrastructure severely, you know, under pressure. So we've been all these things, and we need money to be able to keep the institution running. We went to the government and parliament asking for 40% increment in fees. And they told us that, no, um, in, we, we will think about it, but in the meantime, we can only grant you 5%. Now, the 5% that they granted is, they, they wrote the letter authorizing us to charge that 5% at the tail end of the 2019-2020 academic year, the tail end. And so the University of Ghana felt that, look, 
the term, the year has already run. And so we would, and we had already charged school, the student school fees. And so we would implement the 5% um, increment in the next year. Note that even though University of Ghana decided that it would implement its 5% in the 2020-2021 academic year, other universities implemented the 5% increment. Now, in the 2020-2021 academic year, when we wanted to implement, our students came to us pleading and begging that we were in the era of COVID. No, COVID struck, and we know everything else came to standstill. And so students came begging and pleading that because of COVID, we shouldn't implement the fee increment, the 5% fee increment of the government. Let me emphasize again that all other public universities had implemented that 5%. Now, we listened to them that because of COVID, we would defer the implementation of what the government had approved. Then we got to this current academic year. Before then, you would remember that the government itself, through the budget that it presented, 2023 budget that it presented, had said that all services rendered by the public service would, would have to be adjusted in terms of fee by 15%. So we received a directive from um, um, the government, I think through Minister of Finance, asking us to increase or adjust our fees by 15% on the base rate that has been approved for us way back in 2019, which we have the base rate that we didn't use. We should use it as a basis to increase our fees by 15%. And that is what we have done. It appears that some people are calculating the 15% on the fees that we did not charge based on our concern and magnanimity and the fact that we listened to um, the plea from our students. And some of the members of officialdom are insinuating that you, it was your fault to have listened to the plea of students. It was your fault to have listened to the, the pleadings of students when COVID struck and all that. But the point is that we run a human institution. If you get to a point and practically there are challenges and your stakeholders are pleading, parents are pleading and students are pleading, you would have to also be sensitive. And so the point is we haven't done anything illegal. We are sticking to the side of the law and will do what is right um, just to be able to um, um, govern or run this institution or the university very well, and then also to also put in place measures to ensure that those who are really needy are catered for. Let me make this point. You remember that um, during the UTAX strike action, um, the one that didn't include all other labor unions, government came in to make a certain interim proposal or put in place a certain interim arrangement of paying a certain sum of money. I mean, the money is so ridiculously low, I don't want to even mention it. But government brought that proposal that will pay you this interim amount and then it must run for one year. After one year, we'll review it and give you better conditions of service. Even that small money that the government said it will pay, it couldn't pay all. It went into a certain agreement with GAP and the investors and asked the investors to pay 50% from their internally generated resources, pay 50%, and the government will pay 50%. And then the investors were given assurance that they would do so, they will pay for 50% for just one year. The one year expired in December, and 
as I speak to you, the investors have been ordered or asked to continue paying that 50%. The question is, where are they going to find the money? The government itself, the Minister for Education himself, he agrees with me. He hasn't got the money to fund public institutions. I mean, if there is enough resources to fund um, the University of Ghana, we are happy not to even charge fees if government can provide the funding. But the government itself hasn't got the money. And we are trying to do our best within the confines of the law to keep the universities running so that if there are praises, they would also enjoy some. So the way to go is not to throw spanners in our wheel and to insinuate or accuse the university of doing something that is illegal. I don't think it is fair. We are sticking with the, into the laws and I've referred Act 10, I've referred you to Act 1080. You may want to read it to see the base fee upon which we have calculated our 15%. And then you can do your math and then to see whether we are doing something illegal or not. Meanwhile, I'm aware arrangements are being made to organize, uh, to hold an emergency governing council meeting. And I'm sure some of these things will be discussed there. And the position of the University of Ghana Council, governing council, would once again uh, be brought out in the wake of um, what uh, we've been told. But the point is that we will stick to the side of the law. Okay. And nobody would be able to command us to do what is illegal. Prof, the question that has been asked over the period is, the last time Parliament announced or approved an increase was in 2019, before 1080 came through. Now, the assumption is that your calculation for 1080 would be based on 2019. Was that what the University of Ghana did? What do you use as your base? What, you are not listening. No, I have listened to you, but I want to get specifically. Did you base your 15% on the 2019 figure, or it was based on calculations that you made, including all the issues you raised about uh, Mobrowa issues, where people had difficulties paying? Did you I said you were not listening to me. No, otherwise. I was listening, Prof. I was listening okay, to you. So, so I just want a specific so answer. No, so I just want a specific answer. answer. Mm-hmm. That the specific answer is that we're directed to increase our fees 15% based on what Parliament had already approved for us. What Parliament had already approved for us was the figure for 2019, and exactly that is what we did. So that's, that's all I, that's that's all I just wanted you to say on that's the record. That's why we reject, we reject the tag that we have done Anything illegal. Okay. So the reason I asked you this question, Prof, the reason I asked you this question is that your students were in my studio last night and the calculations they did showed, and I don't have evidence to show that that is your fees or I haven't done the calculation myself, but Nooks was here in studio and they said that the fees you are charging now as a university cannot mathematically be 15% of the 2019 figures. Thank you. You see, um, NUCS is staffed at the moment by various people who are not even students. But University of Ghana, last Monday, today is Thursday, last week, um, this week, Monday, we met with all our student leaders. Um, apparently, they were using the low fees that we charged them because the approved fees came late and because Covered stock to as a basis to calculate their fifteen percent. That was what they were doing. And so last week Monday, sorry, this week Monday, 
uh, beginning of the week, we met with all the SRC the, the president and all student leaders on campus, and we explained some of these things to them. And afterwards, they understood, um, they were happy, and some of them went on to plead that in that case, then um, our terms of payment um, should be, uh, we should we should announce, you know, more of the terms of payment. Of course, some of them also went on to plead that for certain special programs that are being run, uh, are being run um, with, with the sciences, uh, we should take a second look at, uh, you know, and some of the fees. And management told them that they would look at it. But generally, after the meeting, um, there are pictures to show um, they understood. We explained to them the basis because when their predecessors were pleading that we defer the implementation of what the government had approved, they were not there. So we have to explain to them. We have engaged them. The University of Ghana is answerable to its students. NUCS is a bigger body, and many of them um, are not members of the University of Ghana. And so I can understand um, it is possible that in their calculation they used um, the rates that we were using that 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 were in uh, the rate that Parliament had approved. And so I can understand the conclusion. Uh, the confusion, but that's how come we are also putting our statement and explaining that um, the rates that Parliament wanted us to use as a basis is a public uh, knowledge. Those who want to research or um, look at it, they can look at it and then use that rate uh, um, in calculating the 15%. They will understand. But if they want okay. to use the one that we used because of our magnanimity and all that, then they will come to wrong figures. Okay. So, Prof, just to summarize for the layman, in 2019, Parliament asked you to increase fees by 5%. By 5%. So, if you were charging 500 CDs, you you were supposed to have added 5% of 500 on the amount and charge. You yes. decided that no, because of the hard times, you are going to be a no, bit more... We decided that the approval came in very late at the time that we had already charged low fees and then the, the academic year was okay. almost ended. So, so which means that... We shifted to the following year. Good. We shifted it to the following year and then COVID struck. Okay, so mm-hmm. COVID struck and our students came to plead that don't implement what Parliament has approved, but continue to maintain your low rate mm-hmm. because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And we were all in Ghana. We saw what COVID did. So you maintain that low rate all the way to 20... All the way to now. To now. Now that government... No, December this year. So, I think somewhere... That's so that's, n- so that's just now. So in now, in yes. calculating your 15%, you did not calculate it on the magnanimous figure you used, but rather no. you calculated it on we 5%. To of Parliament, that, yes. j- let me just ask it so that we can all, my listeners, one. Yeah. so in calculating now, you calculated 15% on the fees of pre-2019 plus 5%. Thank you. Okay. So you, your position is that you have not gone beyond 15%. No, we haven't gone beyond It's, it's just that you have, raised, you have raised the bar to fit 5% of 2019. We have not, we have done, we have raised the bar, we have used the figure that Parliament approved for all public investors to charge as a basis okay. to determine 15%. Now, when you say you are going back to your governing council for advice before you return, the ministers or the ministry spokesperson has said you should be mindful of the fact that nobody is more powerful than the body that has been given the authority to approve fees. That body is the House of Parliament.
And so whether or not you go to your council, you still would have to come and um, make the I mean, reduction is, that has been is, done. It is, yeah, it is interesting. And as, as I indicated, I've made it categorical that we are going only by what Parliament asked us to do. The directive from Parliament was clear. The directive we also received from the minister who was mentioned in Act 1080 was also clear that we should do 15% increment based using what Parliament had approved for us in 2019 as the base rate. And exactly that is what we have done. Any directive that asks us to do contrary is a directive that will be asking us to do what is illegal. And we want to stay on the side of the law. When are we going to hear a proper response from you to the Minister of Education after your meeting with your council? Well, there's a, there's a response. I no, I mean, I mean official. No, so I'm saying that now that you are still going to meet with your council to come and tell us what you have to say officially in responding to me, I don't know when you are going to respond to the minister. Well, there is an arrangement to have an emergency meeting. I don't know when that meeting will come up. But once it is held, um, I, I want to believe that council would also want us to stay on the side of the law. Um, and so once council decides to communicate, there is an yeah. emergency meeting that is... Um, being organized. Once it is held, um, the outcome would also be communicated. But again, we reject the allegation that we've done anything that is illegal. We will stay by the side of the law. Okay. That is what we are committed to doing. Thank you so much for speaking to us. It is my pleasure. That's Professor Ransford Jampo. He's a member of the communications team of the University of Ghana as he tries to communicate its way out of this issue around school fees, which uh, it insists it has not overcharged or charged uh, illegal unapproved fees. The Minister for Education, though, has directed all universities to abide by what Parliament has said. We are told uh, three of the parties that was at the meeting or where the meeting today have agreed to do so, University of Ghana would make a determination after meeting with its council. Which other university has been speaking, Nashka? Yes, the Vice-Chancellor for the University of Cape Coast, Johnson Nyaku Bampon, also spoke to City News after the meeting with the minister. If anybody has paid, in fact, what we do is that uh, when you pay beyond above that amount, you, you, we paid back to the students. We made that request and we, we paid back to the students. And it, some of the students also have scholarship. Sometimes they do not even know. They paid the amount of that school fees to us. And then later, when they made the request, we find it to them. That was the Vice-Chancellor for the University of Cape Coast, Johnson Nyako Bwampon. Still on education scores of freshmen were on the University of Ghana campus today to manually secure halls for accommodation purposes. The first-year students of the university said the process had been frustrating as they were unable to access the portal when it was opened yesterday. Although yesterday was day one for students to register at their various departments, most of them had who had showed up today were more concerned about the accommodation. Some of them spoke to us. Why right here? For the registration of the halls here, yeah, Commonwealth basically. Okay, you were on the portal yesterday? Yeah. So what time did you join and what happened? I joined exactly nine and when I entered, just like my phone freeze or I think it's their connection. Mm. Yeah. So I didn't get to book a room. Yeah. That's why you chewed all the way here? Yeah. So which region are you coming from? Uh, I'm in Greater Accra region here. Okay, so what about you? 
Osir Rexford. The same, the same problem he was having. Okay, so you were not also able to get home. I want to, yeah. So what are you going to do right now? Now we are stranded. We are moving from horse to horse. Everywhere is full, and we don't know what to do. Yeah. But I mean, this was expected. It every year it happens. Didn't you expect that you you were not going to get it? For us, we don't know. Mm. Yeah. So what's going to be your next move? From here, where are you going? We are trying to find a hostel, but we don't know where we are going to get that as well. Those were some freshmen of the University of Ghana speaking to my colleague, Akusia Otri. The vice, pro-vice-chancellor of the institution, Professor Gordon Awandari, also outlined measures are being put in place to address the issue. It's, it's mathematics, it's numbers, you know. Um, it's, it's almost like you are balloting. It's like a lottery, <laughs> you understand? Because think about it. So yesterday, we probably had about 16,000 or a little less students trying to get about 1,500 beds that were made available for first years. Oh, it was open yesterday? Yes, it was open yesterday at 9 o'clock. But within six minutes, all the beds were gone. Uh, because it just takes a click. Every click is one bed gone, you understand? <laughs> And if you have 16,000 students all trying to get a bed, it only takes a few seconds for all the beds to be gone because everybody who gets through, one bed is gone. And it doesn't take long for the 1,500 beds to go because it's electronic. It's a, it's a split-second thing. So it's not, there's no magic here. It is shortage of beds. That's the reality. Is there anything like protocols going on here? Well, so what happens is that normally the halls reserve some rooms to give to their athletes, you know, they try to some some give student athletes in order to attract student athletes. They give some of them accommodation. They give uh, students with special needs, so you know, people with uh, visual impairment or any physical disability. They prioritize them to give them spaces. So there are many many um, initiatives that we've uh, started in order to address this challenge. But as you know, it's going to take time for uh, this to to materialize. You know, you can't build a hostel in one year. <laughs> so, you know, so we, you know, there are several new uh, hostel projects that are just starting. So the buildings are about to start. So it's going to take a couple of years for them to be ready. Uh, we have one uncompleted hostel which we are working to 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 finish. Hopefully. By next academic year, that should bring in about 800 to 1,000 more beds for students. And we are also leasing our lands to private investors to build hostels on campus. And we've given a few of those leases, and we're hoping that um, the private investors will start building. So there are several um, efforts going on, but it just takes time. That was the pro-vice-chancellor of the University of Ghana, Professor Gordon Awandari. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. Welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. The Consumer Protection Agency is calling for the immediate suspension of the 43% increase in insurance premiums announced by the National Insurance Commission. The chairman of the Consumer Protection Agency is Kofi 
Kapito. He joins us on the line. Mr. Kapito, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. My happy new year to you and your uh, listeners. He's not reflecting, also. I don't know whether I should respond. <laughs> you know, he's not reflecting in the consumer's pocket. I know, I know, I know. It's nice for the consumer. How and when did the insurance commission make this announcement, and what's your difficulty with it? My difficulty is is is, is the fact that look, we 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 put institutions in place for them to protect uh, Ghanaians. Everything that they do should have the Ghanaian in mind, especially the consumer who is the end user. Uh, this uh, release or this new directive, there was no consultation as to whether the percentage was the right percentage. Like you said, uh, the Happy New Year is not reflecting uh, in your life. So for us to be uh, hit the first week of the year with a 43% insurance uh, increase on third-party policy, it's a little bit too high for the consumer to swallow. So to translate the percentage into the CDs that we are consuming, let me just write back announce to my listeners what it actually means if you're going to insure your car. So this sure. is what um, we have seen. Uh, if it's a motorbike, as in a two-tire bike, uh, we're charging or we're paying 193 CDs before now. But now it's going to be 243 CDs. Sure. Now, if it's a taxi, it moves from 568 CDs to 618 CDs. Mm-hmm. A private saloon car is, um, was 423. That's going to 468. A 12-person passenger trotro bus was uh, paying 634. It's now going to go for 717 CDs. 15 person trotro is from 658 cities to 753 cities. 23 passenger trotro is from 722 cities to 849. And a big truck, which used to pay 853 cities, is now going to pay 903 cities. Now, was there no consultation? Because if there was, there was consultation, then you shouldn't be talking about it now, should you? No, you see, the consultation probably would have uh, reduced uh, the amount that we are being asked to pay. Look, the reason why we the reason why we do insurance, especially the third parties, is a law that every vehicle should have insurance, and uh, there is a limit as to what uh, the the policy holder is responsible uh, for. Let me give an example. Example: I don't know what kind of car you drive. But let's say if you drive a, a Toyota Corolla and you insure it a third party and uh, you get into an accident. Now, I guess the big car in Ghana is Kwame uh, said despite uh, Bugatti. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are under the assumption that because you have a third party insurance, uh, the insurance policy should cover the damage to uh, Mr. Osir Kwame's Bugatti. Unfortunately, the only liability that the insurance will pay to a self-crimes Bugatti is 6,000 cities. So can you imagine if a self-crimes Bugatti that was put on social media as to the cost of the vehicle, and then you, the average person, how are you going to come up with uh, the balance of it? So are you... I'm, 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 yes, I'm following you. So sure. even though we pay that much, the, the, what the insurance companies give is not enough. 
No, it's not enough. In a sense that because they said insurance is a pool thing, everybody pays into the pool. So when there's an accident, then we can go into the pool and take the money and compensate somebody. Okay. People pay insurance for years without any claim. What do they get back? They don't even get anything back. This same insurance uh, commission has now deprived you and I. Uh, the little uh, reductions that the insurance companies and the insurance brokers were giving to us because we've been a careful driver for some time, uh, we are getting older, all those things goes into actually look at how much insurance you need to pay. They're taking it that way. They're even going to the extent of even going to cap, okay, what they will pay to you when it comes to uh, 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 life in, in terms of death and then injury. We cannot have this thing in Ghana. I make insurance for what is called a rainy day. So at any, any time that I need it, I should fall on it. But for me to be strapped, and maybe we need to look at the law and say, look, maybe what we are paying towards third party, what do we do in terms of somebody getting into an, uh, into an accident? How can we compensate that person or the person's third party? Now in Ghana, they are telling you that, oh, if you want to buy more insurance, which is fine. But the question is, how much is more? Okay, if I have a, a, even, a, 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 what's it called, a, a, a premium insurance. I don't know the time, the, uh, those expensive ones. Uh, comprehensive. Uh, comprehensive insurance, right? Even if I have a comprehensive insurance, do you know the liability of that policy is that the third party thing to the other car, which is the 6,000 cities. The only thing that I would be happy to have is the full cost of my vehicle. But the damage that I've done to the other vehicle, it all falls on me. And how am I going to determine that I need to buy 10 cities more, 100 cities more, 200 cities more, so that I'll be free of any uh, unforeseen uh, issues? We understand there was a stakeholder meeting or engagement with the Ghana Private Road Transport Union, GPRTU, and the General Transport Petroleum and Chemical Workers Union, their leadership, and it was agreed that the effective date for the implementation of this particular rate should be January 1st, 2023. So they have essentially agreed to this. Why are you crying more than the bereaved? Can I ask you a question? What's the membership of the GPRTU? What's the membership of the... Look... The, the majority of the drivers are the private vehicle owners. Which private vehicle organization was called to the stakeholders meeting? None. Okay, I mean, uh, if anything, you see, this is the only country that we do things and we call people that uh, maybe it might reflect that, oh, we call people. No, but there's a broader consultation, which is the people of Ghana, the good people of Ghana, are the ones that will be affected by this new policy. Now that I you mean, are... the GPRT, if, if the GPRT, at the end of the day, they will pass it on to you, the consumer. Are you aware of that? I do know that. They add it to their yeah, so, to their f- Yeah, so, so if they agree or not, they don't really care. Because at the end of the day, they don't have to pay. You and I have to pay. So ultimately, the consumer suffers. Definitely. What Definitely. are you going to do? You've asked that the commission reduces this 43% increment. Do you have a figure you are proposing or you just want everything gone? No, we need, we need, we need to have a broader consultation. And it's not just the CPA. Every individual person who has something to say should be aware that 
This is what is going to come. And then if you agree, we, we live in a democracy, okay? It's about the majority and contentions. We cannot just sit and let a few people hijack a policy and then implement it. Very well. Uh, we'll be watching the space. Uh, we've tried to hear from the commission. We've not been successful, but we were told that uh, there will be an official communication on this. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you very much. That's Kofi Capito. He's chairman of the Consumer Protection Agency, CPA. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. Around Ghana, we are on a number of affiliate stations and around the globe on citynewsroom.com. Uh, let me um, bring a few of your messages before we go into the world of business. Kofi Ndansoma says, I'm in the Graduate School of University of Ghana, and we are doing 10 weeks of lectures, out of which only two of them are face-to-face. There's no justification for this increase. As is done line says, public universities must comply with a 15% increment. Last year, I paid 4,500 cities as a level 300 student of the KNUST. This year, I'm paying 5,413 cities. Government must act as soon as possible. Note, if you don't pay, you can't register the courses. I really find that unfortunate and unfair. Musa Ali Kone in Wa says, It appears the public universities in Ghana feel they are so autonomous that government or parliament can't have any say when it comes to fees. These can't go, uh, they can't go against what has been approved by parliament. Man Sakara from Nungwa uh, says, What do the various university managements do with the IGF they collect? The political interference in the management of public investors must stop. Abdul Razak from Boko says, Our economy is not doing well. Cost of living is in, on the rise. And yet we are increasing school fees. That's so sad. Ninchema Seidu Gafaru from Boko says, Good evening, Umaru. Why can't we as a nation have a standard amount for all tertiary institutions with regards to fees payment? Parliament needs to act fast. Dramani from Koforidua says, We are tremendously, tremendously grateful to the minister for his intervention about this terrible issue. Do send your messages too and keep the debate going. This is Eyewitness News. We'll be back shortly with the latest in the world of business and then point blank. Please stay. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News Every market movement and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. A time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News brought to you by First National Bank and powered by citybusinessnews.com. I am Nashika Caesar. Let's settle for the details now. The Ghana Hotels Association has expressed concern that the increment in the value-added tax rate will negatively impact the operations of its members. According to the association, this will increase the cost of their services and may discourage patronage. The rate was increased from 12.5% to 15% in the 2023 budget effective 1st January. President of the association, Dr. Edward Akanyamike, in an interview with City Business News, was worried that the increment in the tax will further fuel the notion of high cost of hotel services in the country. So what it does to the industry is that it pushes our rates high, okay, and then defeats that struggle that we've been having all this while about uh, complaints about our uh, high hotel rates. 
in, 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 this, in this country. It defeats it completely, okay? Because now we are going to have to add another uh, tax on what the consumer will pay. Because we are not really paying for it, okay? We, after, after charging our services, we calculate the, the, the value on it for the consumer to pay. So that is how it affects And because our work, our business is kind of global, so the competition is there. And are we still going to get people or visitors looking at our races to come here? That's, that's the challenge that we, 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 we are having. And would I wish for government to treat the industry differently? But as it is, we have to make do with what is there. So the real impact is that it's going to increase our rates, and that will be too that one the operator cannot take it okay the operator cannot bear that cost that one will have to be paid by the consumer but it, it, it will lead to lower patronage because people are really going to look at their pockets before they, they come and book a room or book uh, for our services that was the president of the Ghana Hotels Association, Dr. Edward Akanyamike. Away from that, the Rice Millers Association of Ghana has refuted claims that a group of rice investors from Thailand have arrived in the country. The association maintains that the group in the country, numbering about 33 people, are made up of experts who are here to access the soil and other value chain of rice production for the executive chairman of the Jospon Group of Companies, Dr. During the latter days of December 2022, there were reports that Jospon Group of Companies led a delegation of rice investors to key government officials. Speaking to City Business News, Yao Edupoku, who is the convener of the Rice Millers Association of Ghana, said the publications aren't true. That's coming from Thailand. That's a fallacy. It's false. Jospon has not brought any investors from Thailand. I don't know where that story is coming from, but it's all over the place and it's not true. What Jospon has done is to bring in rice experts, rice experts, to help in enhancing rice growth in Ghana because he, Jospon, wants to go into rice production all over the value chain. So there is not one single rice investor from Thailand in Ghana as I'm speaking to you. We are on a third trip currently at Akuku in the Ashanti region, taking off uh, going into large-scale farming on the front plane. These experts are there to uh, test the soil, to test the vegetation, and be able to get back to uh, just one and let him know that, yes, this area will do for rice or not. That is the kind of people he has brought in. I'm surprised people go about and tell stories they don't even know. I'm very surprised. That was the convener of the Rice Millers Association of Ghana, Yao Edupoku. Away from that, stakeholders within the business community have reiterated calls for government to put in place measures to further sustain the marginal improvement of the local currency and other issues facing the economy. They note that this will bring relief to the business community and cushion Ghanaians from the country's current hardships. James Asaria J is a former president of the Association of Ghana Industry, AGI, and he was speaking at the maiden edition of the New Year Business Forum organized by the Magdan Group. Now, how did this thing come about? Probably some of the policies of those environments, like um, some voluntary policy directives, that government is not willing to support, that government is not willing to support, some not essential purpose, just that. Not that, you don't know for a fact whether 
they will have to indeed stop supporting some of the non-essential institutes. At least those pronouncements, those efforts that were being done, we will see that there was some sort of response to the government. Now the question is, now as we solve these sort of significant gains, how are we going to stay? What are we doing? One, we will as managers of the economy to the private sector. You know, and what I normally say is that in most cases, we as private sector boards, what we do is that we always wait for government to come. That was a former president of the Association of Ghana Industry, James Asari Ejay. Now, the Association of Ghana Industries, AGI, is urging government to make access to land easier for local businesses. The association is also entreating the government to initiate a policy that would establish land banks. As such, a policy would go a long way to help address the problem of land acquisition for the operations of the business community. In an interview with City Business News, the Greta Accra chairman of the AGI, Chonam Akplelu, explains that the non-existence of land banks makes many prospective investors go through frustrations and delays in accessing land for their ventures. Government has rolled out the National Industrialization Transformation Agenda, which is essentially to make sure that Ghana becomes an industrial hub in the wake of the Continental Free Trade Agreement and also that we should be competitive. And so in all of these, you need industry to be competitive and we can't continue to give words and just (coughs) slogan to industrial situation. We need to actually put some of these things in practice. There are several issues bordering land, land tenure system. I've got one of my members in Tema who have to pay for the same land three times, three families, because the first the first family was sorted out and then the next family emerged because he doesn't want to spend time in court. And this is expensive land. So by the time he's done dealing with the land issue, about 70% of his uh, capital is gone into settling land. That was a greater crowd chairman of the AGI, Chonam Akplelu. Finally, Think Tank Consumer Unity and Trust Society, CAT International, is urging Parliament to pass the Consumer Protection Law to stem the exploitation of consumers. The Think Tank maintains that the interests of the consumer must remain paramount in the trading arena. Speaking to City Business News, the West Africa Regional Director for CAT International, Apia Kusi Edomaku, said the law is long overdue. Uh, we need to have the consumer protection law. This law, this bill has been there for more than 15 years and it's been back and forth between the Attorney General or AG Department and the Ministry of Trade. I think if there's a time to have the law, the bill part law, this is this year is the right time because uh, this law is going to protect consumers against bad practices of most businesses. You go to shop to go and buy something, you are threatening on it. Goods sold here are not returnable. Meanwhile, when they see the same multinational firm that is Ghana, when they go to, when they are in Kenya or South Africa or in Europe, they are shocked goods are returned there. So what makes it different that when businesses come to Ghana, they don't want to allow for goods to be returned. All of these things are happening because there are no statutory provisions to protect the consumers.
That was the West Africa Regional Director for Cats International, Apia Kusi Adomako. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News, which was powered by citybusinessnews.com and sponsored by First National Bank. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Twenty-five minutes to nineteen hundred GMT. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sanda Amado. Tonight on Point Blank, a private legal practitioner has called for the placement of a quota on how much government can tax Ghanaians. Mr. David Ofosu Doty, who is a senior partner of ABN David Africa, a Pan-African business law firm, said this while speaking at a public lecture organized by the One Ghana Movement and the UPSA Law Faculty to observe Constitution Day, which is uh, scheduled for this Saturday. According to him, the intended purpose of most of the taxes have not been achieved. Thus, the move will prevent citizens from excess taxation and force the government to cut down on expenditure. We ought to be thinking of an upper limit beyond which governments cannot tax us, imposing it by law that there must be an upper limit beyond which government cannot impose taxes. And now that I did hear that the, the, now that we, we do have the situation where a private member bill can be introduced, I would recommend to our parliamentarians that this is one area they need to be looking at, that there should be a limit as to the ability of government to levy taxes on us. Otherwise, they will continue increasing their expenditure and indirectly pass on the expenditure to the citizenry who voted them. The worst is that, to the best of my knowledge, none of these levies, absolutely none, has achieved this purpose. So we collect the money, it doesn't achieve this purpose, and we add more. Particular reference will be made to the road fund and the toll recovery fund, both of which were expected to eradicate the problem once and for all. You know the answer. Now, <clears throat> the idea about limiting the government's borrowing Sorry, taxes on us. She also come with another idea of limiting the government's ability to borrow. Because how are these expenditures made? They are made by the government either borrowing externally or borrowing from our local market bonds or T-bills to fund these expenditures. And they end up passing it on to us. Again, I think it is important that we limit the government's ability to borrow. If we do not pass a legislative instrument, a legislative a, a framework to limit the ability to borrow, this problem will not be solved. And there's a reason why I believe so strongly. It is because we live in a society whose culture worships authority and is quite permissive in its attitude. That's a subject I will return to. 
you cannot divorce culture from constitution. It's very important. The constitution is the supreme law of the land, but culture trances constitution. I want to repeat that. Constitution is the supreme law of the land, but culture trances constitution. I am not a supporter of those who actually keep arguing that everything in the constitution should be turned upside down. Strangely enough, much as I'm criticizing these things, I don't believe that the constitution should be amended completely. And when I do the score on what the constitution itself gets, I give the constitution itself a very high mark. My problem is that the culture of the people who use the constitution is such that they find any way to abuse. Now, there is no law in the world, absolutely no law, including the constitution, which is so good enough to prevent evil-minded people from doing that which is wrong. And there is no law in the world so bad which will prevent a good man from doing that which is right. We have to understand that. No matter how good the law is, if you intend to abuse it, you will abuse it. Our constitution is very clear that cabinet should be 19 maximum. But we have found a nice way of distinguishing cabinet from ministers. If we have a mind to do the right thing, the constitution doesn't really matter. We will find a way around it. So no law will limit people who have evil minds from doing that which is wrong. And no law will be so good as to prevent a person who has good intentions from doing that which is right. And that is the reason why I am not a wholesale supporter of amending everything in the constitution, much as I critique it. We must separate the spirit and letter from the users. And that is the reason why I focus on the culture of the people. If you have a culture which is permissive, which carry, unfortunately, I have to, I have to say this about chiefs, a culture of a people who carry chiefs whose forefathers sold them into slavery in Palanquin, that culture of a people are so permissive, right, that it is easy for them to worship politicians much as they worship chiefs. And that culture needs to be related to the constitution because it creates an ecosystem of a contest within which we operate. Also, another thing that is worth considering is those who are actors in this space, especially lawyers, ought to be looking more at how to get interpretations in the Supreme Court on the constitution regarding whether taxation amounts to an infringement of our economic rights, which are infringing the constitution. And I actually think so. I think it does. And I will show that shortly. Right. The Constitution assures us of fundamental human rights and protects us from slavery and forced labor. But the point is, if we tax the people so that enterprises are no more growing, we are indirectly breaching the economic rights of the people and their ability to work because enterprises are closing down and enterprises cannot expand. I have argued that we need and that's perhaps my second recommendation, a discriminatory tax system. And that discriminatory tax system is a corporate tax system which rewards persons who, one, in a specified year, maintain the same number of staff, or two, increase the number of staff. Let me explain. If I have 50 employees, and by the end of the year I have maintained the same number of employees or added more, I ought to pay less corporate tax than a person who had a lesser number. And therefore, we all should not be paying 25% corporate tax. It should be discriminatory so as to encourage people to employ. That's one way to solve the employment problem. Not to get people to queue at LWAC with the hope that they will find employment. Public sector doesn't create employment. It doesn't. Unless the public sector operates with a private sector mindset, like China has done. The principles of state policy 
that actually creates objectives under the constitution for each, 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 each citizen to play a role in the economy and for the nation to protect our resources. There has been a whole argument as to whether it is justiciable or otherwise, but now the Supreme Court has settled the matter that it is justiciable. But let's look at how the managers of the economy since the 1992 constitution have dealt with our assets. We sold our shares in Anglo Ashanti entirely. Those shares were appropriated for us by Kutua Champong 55%. We didn't have those shares in the first place. He nationalized it. And after the shares got value, we sold all of it. We sold Ghana Airways, and we sold Ghana Airways at the time we were broke. We sold Ghana Telecom at that time to balance the budget by $150 million only. Now, at the last time I heard, we have 17 more enterprises that we have listed to sell. That was just announced by the Minister for Public Sector Enterprises or something like that. I don't know the list of the enterprises. But the sale is continuing. Now, I'll compare that to China shortly as how we protect enterprises or state resources as against that of other countries. I took a look at the constitution of China, Rwanda, USA, and Singapore as a comparison as to what makes these nations progress. Can anything be tra traced to the constitution and their culture? Now, you will notice that under Chapter 7, the citizens who are complaining about thus far are given the right to vote. But it appears the citizens get powerless immediately after they vote. And they have no power. Again, unfortunately, two of my parliamentarian friends are here. I can see them. And I think they are more. Parliament is supposed to be representative of the people. It appears the executive gets its way irrespective of whatever. And please, by the executive, this has existed since 1993. In fact, when we had the 137-137, many were those who thought, aha, for once. Somebody was going to check the executive. Nothing changed. So clearly, it appears the right to vote is all the right that the citizens have been left with. Nothing more by the way we behave. Now, having said that, we have also turned elections into a very, very expensive enterprise. The slide shows how much we have spent on electoral commission and voting over the period 2000 to 2020. And you can see the increases in numbers, jumping particularly from, look a bit stable from 2000 to 2008, jumped a bit to 2012, 2016 jumped significantly, and 2020 jumped slightly significantly. Now, in all this, we've increased the number of constituencies, we keep increasing them, and that I will touch on also. And the only referenda Worth note that I remember is a recent referenda to actually uh, divide the country into more regions, which I will touch on again. We have no Swiss option here. Perhaps we need to be considering a Swiss option. What is Swiss option? In Switzerland, almost everything goes into a referendum. And therefore, the electoral commission, want of a better word, quote and unquote, is not waiting until four years when the people come to vote and go. Almost every decision. The last time I was in Zurich, the question of whether or not you should increase the minimum wage is by vote. And if the system is organized that on your way to work, you vote by 5 o'clock, the people decided that minimum wage should not be increased, finished. In Zurich, the mayor wanted to expand a certain road. There was a referendum. And they decided that the road should remain, that the traffic is okay, 
Because you cannot commit public expenditure to that. And these are things we need to learn from. Rwanda has a similar provision which I will touch on. So we just keep charging the expenses and the countries we admire, we keep saying, the last I checked is over $200 million we are spending on elections. The countries we admire, several times our GDP, which huge foreign reserves, and 3% of global trade, Singapore, is smaller than Accra. They spend only $2.5 on elections. $2.5 million, simple. That's how much they spend on elections. And for the avoidance of that, Singapore is, a, is a not a, a communist country or a one-party, it's a, it's a multi-party country. It is a lot that has to do with our culture. If there is any entity that has benefited from the constitution, it is the political parties. They have benefited more than any. They are the biggest beneficiaries. Theoretically, they were supposed to galvanize ideas so that our collective prosperity will be ensured. However, Mr. Chairman, so far as I'm concerned, the political parties have become a duopoly of disunity, leading us to our economic doom by polarizing everything. Chapter 8 of the Constitution creates the office of the President. There's been a lot of debate as to whether the term of office is okay or not, whether it should be prolonged. In fact, one President during his last speech actually said we should prolong or extend the term. I totally disagree. My main concern at this stage, though, has to do with the appointments the President is giving power to give. And if you look at Article 70 and align it with 195, you will see that he has power to keep just appointing and increasing the public sector as much as you can, they can. Added to what I know Professor Abuchi was just talking about on Joy FM on my way here, has to do with bringing bills to Parliament. Every bill you bring to Parliament has a cost effect. And in Rwanda's constitution, I think Article 89 also, I have to check, you cannot bring a bill to Parliament, Rwanda, without justifying whether the cost that is created is actually being provided for, or whether the bill is intended to reduce the cost. It's a provision in the Rwanda constitution. So you just don't create bills. Here we create bills, and because the executive has its way, we keep adding on to the cost. So there are limits. Indeed, the president and parliament can scratch each other's back and increase their emoluments. We all know that. I don't need to go. Under the constitution of the U.S., parliament can only increase its salaries and emoluments if it is for the next parliament and not the incumbent parliament. So they have kept their allowances and emoluments very stable because you cannot increase it for the next parliament. So is the president. The president cannot increase his or her emoluments unless it's for the next term. And again, those are things we need to learn from. So my view about whether we should extend the president term or not is very extreme. It's an impractical recommendation, but just to give that impractical recommendation so that we understand that as much as we should stay where we are, my impractical recommendation is that giving the chance, our present term should be one year and not more. <laughs> Why do I say this impractical recommendation? It will operate like how Rotary Clubs operate. In the first year, we will elect two presidents, one incumbent and one in waiting. Every year we go to the referendum and elect another one. So whenever you are incumbent, you know the next person is waiting. It is not long enough for you to finish any project. And therefore you must continue the whole project. And it is not long enough for you to mess up the economy. One year is enough and they become ceremonial. Is that in practice? Yes, Switzerland has it. 
It's a committee, and every year, one person takes turn to be president. There was a time of a turn of a president whose wife had had a baby, and he decided that he didn't want to be president that year. It's not, important. It's not possible in Ghana. <laughs> so we should either keep it or reduce it. All right. Having said that, let's deal with cabinet, which I talked about earlier. And I don't want to go into the legal list of minimum of 9, 10, and 19. Those are legal issues that I don't, and I'm a lawyer, I understand them very well. You can manage this country adequately with 15 ministers. 15. I have no doubt about that, and I can prove to anybody that you can. Now, one of the faults of the Constitution is the creation of deputies. It's one of the recommendations in the Constitution, which, as far as I'm concerned, was inserted for Jerry Rollins. And therefore, if you made a comment that Jerry Rollins uh, uh, passed, then we should deal with it. If there are only a few things that will change the Constitution. I agree that the Constitution doesn't need to be amended that drastically. So, uh, Prof, I agree with you largely to that extent. I don't believe we need deputy ministers. I don't believe that. We don't. We just have, we can stay with ministers. A lot of them are my friends. I'm not taking their daily bread from them, and I'm not talking about current deputy ministers. I'm saying that a nation which is seeking to use its resources at this moment in time can do with ministers alone. Because our constitution is so permissive, and we have a situation where our people basically will agree with anything that the executive does. Now, if we have to amend that part. I will highly recommend not just creating a separation of cabinet and ministers, but just limiting it to cabinet and that there shall be no minister other than cabinet. Every minister should be a cabinet minister. And we should abolish, we should set another parliament and end there. We can cut costs. Council of State. I can see what the giggling is about. To me, it is a silent advisor whose role may not be seen by many. And I don't have any doubt with the reputation of people there that they do advise. But this is perhaps the only quotation I will make relating to constitution, and I will read all. It's from Dr. Raymond Atuguba's uh, recent book on the constitution from the Garden of Eden to, uh, 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 to 2022. And I quote, he says the distinction between situations when the president must act Quote, in consultation with or in accordance with at the advice of the bodies of the Council of State in the course of his powers and appointment is quite bled. The Supreme Court decided in the case of the Ghana Bar Association and others versus Attorney General that the advice given to the President by the institutions such as the Council of State or the Judicial Council are merely advisory opinions and are thus not binding on the President. The fallout of this interpretation provided by the Supreme Court is an enhanced concentration of decision-making power in the executive president who already wields extensive powers under the Constitution. This decision, some have argued, is not in sync with the tenets of good governance, which will require that the overwhelming powers of the appointment of the president are minimized. I agree with Atuguba's view on that. But having heard that, said that, why set up an institution with advice we don't need? <laughs> what is the purpose of a whole institution whose advice we will not take? And we spend so much money on it. Now, it gets even worse than when we increase regions, we increase the number 
of people in the Council of State and go through elections for advice which we will not take. My view and my recommendation is that, one, it's about time the Council of State, if we have to amend the Constitution, make the advice to the President public, except where the advice relates to national security matters. And we have to define the ambit of national security within which the advice cannot be made public. Two, Parliament must vote if it is demonstrated that after advising the President on two occasions, the President refused. That way, we will put in a fetter and we will indirectly compel the person to take good advice. I have asked a question. Did the Council of State, if anybody knows here, please forgive me and, ad and advise me. Did the Council of State advise on whether we should go to IMF or not? And the timing when we said we won't go to IMF? I don't have an idea. If they did, I don't know. But I will have thought that prior to getting into a haircut situation, it would have been good for the elders of the state to have given the advice. I don't have any doubt that they did. But the citizens have no way of knowing. And these are some of the things we need to be thinking about. The legislature, I hope they don't call me for uh, or the contempt, <laughs> the privileged committee. But I think it is the most failed of the organs of the Constitution. Completely failed. I've already talked about the fact that even 137, 137 didn't change anything. They are supposed to hold the executive in check. And I don't need to explain anymore that. But we keep increasing the number to 275 now. And the emoluments keep increasing. Did they get their police escorts when they were asking for? I'm not so sure whether they did. But all these are charged to the consolidated fund. Now, the strange thing about the, the parliament is that, for me, the most important committee has been left out of parliament. But I will deal with that. How did we get to the 275? Because after every 10 years, we do census and the electoral commission, then through some consultation, do the regular demarcation. America had that. But we must learn the mistakes of others. In 1929, America decided that you cannot continuously be enforcing a provision in the American Constitution where every 30,000 people had to have one representative. And rather, they should fix an upper limit on the number and the number should be the basis to divide the number of people who are represented. And after all, communication was improving, and therefore it's easier to deal with constituents. So since 1929, the American Congress has remained at 437. And it doesn't matter how much the population increases. You have to now work the number backwards. If we continue going where we are going, I don't know when the number of parliamentarians that we are going to, I mean, keep getting. But let's look at the committees of parliament, and again, for the avoidance of doubt, the distinction, to the best of my knowledge, and my MPs are here, they can correct me, is that they have select committees and standing committees and ad hoc committees as and when necessary. Select committees are those which are mimicking the ministries of the government. And the standing committees are the committees which are there, irrespective of the government, essentially. And ad hoc committees as and when necessary. Let's look at our committees in Parliament. Appointments, business of Parliament, Committee on Selection, Finance, Gender, Assurances, Government Assurances, the House, etc., etc., etc. I have looked through and I've said this several times. I cannot find any committee on the economy. To the best of my knowledge, our Parliament has never had any committee on the economy. Please don't confuse finance with the economy. There's a difference between spending money and planning.
what we have done is to combine the buyer with the payer. Now, there is a small fault with the constitution which leads to this. It is the creation of the National Development Planning Commission without making it a ministerial function. The idea was to enhance the power. However, it has had the adverse effects as a result of our culture. But having said that, my key point is that our parliament, to the best of my knowledge, have never had any committee that examines the economy as distinct from finances. And we confuse the two. Now, let's look at the countries we admire. UK has a committee on the economy, focusing on rural committee, a rural economy. They have a committee that looks at business, energy, and industrial strategy. In 2015, at a public lecture I did at the British Council, I advocated for the creation of a Ministry of Business Development and made this same argument that the failure to have a committee on the economy in Parliament is one reason why businesses are taxed to extinction. And I wrote and sent copies to both parties. It was about that and my campaign for Centre of the World, which I had been doing since 2011. Incidentally, the MPP took it and actually created a Ministry of Business Development in their first term and abandoned it in the second term. <laughs> so, to the best of my knowledge, Parliament is not looking at business. Now, in UK, when there was an intention to sell AstraZeneca, the Committee on Business had 254 citizens checking with business and society as to whether or not a single asset should be sold. That's what Parliament representing the people should do. In the United States, there is a joint committee on the economy. In Rwanda, they have a committee on the economy and trade. Now, Articles 1, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, and 11 of the China Constitution actually enjoins the state to use productive resources of the state and put it in the state and make sure it is productive. When we go and borrow from China Development Bank, CDB, and are underwritten by Sinochio, they are all government entities. China Railway is a government entity. They won all the stadium contracts in, uh, in uh, Qatar. And if China is becoming, or it is the second fast, uh, uh, biggest economy, and I predict it to overtake the U.S. by 2030, not 2050, as many think, it is because they have utilized their state resources. I have already said how we have sold and global and all, and we are going to sell 17 more. Now, by the way, I'm also not an advocate of simply retaining them when they are making losses. It's our culture. It makes us misuse assets because our president will appoint the board, and instead of leaving the board to appoint the CEO, he will appoint the CEO, and the CEO and the board are always arguing because they both have assets. Yet, we have a company's code, and these are SOEs, under the company school, and the company school has no relevance. I want to repeat, no law is so good as to allow a person with evil mind to do the wrong thing, as to prevent a person with evil mind to do the wrong thing. The law is there. Ghana, we don't like laws. We have all the laws. The words of David Ofosu Dotti. He is a senior partner of ABN Africa, a Pan-African business law firm. He was speaking at that forum put together by the UPSC Law Faculty and the One Ghana Movement. This happened at the UPSC campus today. And we just thought if should share excerpts with you. That would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amado. Production by Bevelyn London. Technical support from Daniel Squashi and the new media support from Edwin Kwakofi of the new media team here at CTFM and City TV.
Thank you. Stay with us. Good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.